If you're entrepreneurial, you'll know it in your gut. And I think business would love to be engaged, you know, with the politicians. How can the industry and government work together? The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss royals and hospitality and talk to Jonathan Hinkles, chief executive of Loganair. And in the boardroom this week, Tom and Willie answer your calls and provide insight and inspiration. We'd love to hear from more listeners, so if you have a question or simply want advice, get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Gentlemen, obviously the sad funeral for Prince Philip. You must have some tales to tell about him. Willie. Yes, uh, I've got a couple actually. Um, my first introduction to the Duke of Edinburgh Awards was as a young boy in primary school in, in the Gorbals. And they had the Duke of Edinburgh Swimming Award if you got a life-saving badge. Uh, and I loved the swimming and I'll never forget it. I was about eight and I, I passed this this uh, exam that you had in the swimming for life-saving. You know, you'd throw a brick in, you'd have to dive down and get it and bring it back up in a golden key, then you had to swim and then you had to show people how you could do resuscitation. And I'll never forget it because one of the prizes you got, apart from getting the wee medal, you got a pass to get into the swimming every day for a year for free. And, and this is absolutely true. I went to the Gorbo swimming baths every single day for a year. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's my, that was my introduction. I also met the Prince uh, many years later at a function through in Edinburgh with Sir Tom Farmer. And uh, I relayed that story to him. And um, uh, it's fair to say that he didn't sound too interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> Tom? Yeah, I, I met him on a couple of occasions. I mean, I, I think it's an amazing thing. First of all, is it 70-odd years marriage? Yes. Right? Which is amazing. And 70 years marriage and, you know, a very difficult job. Let's let's face it, for a person to be stu- two steps behind is an incredible service to our country. So hats off to him. My, my story's a wee bit tenuous. So my eldest son was at a, Glasgow School and went on the Duke of Edinburgh Awards but it didn't quite work out and he actually got suspended from that school for an incident didn't quite know what the incident was so we so ended up you're not going to tell us a wee bit more about uh, that escapade? Well I think it was high jinks I think they ended up shaving each other's heads or something I think they wanted a haircut like yours and mine Donald <laughs> but we ended up taking them out of that school and sending them to Gordonston so there's a very tenuous link because <laughs> Jacob Edinburgh went to Gordonston as well and he thrived at Gordonston I'm very pleased to say So the escapades on the, the uh, Duke of Edinburgh trip led to a royal link so that's always There we go <laughs> We talked last week about your Oxford Economics Report What's been the feedback you've had? Yeah, well, from um, business people, we've had really strong feedback and um, there's going to be quite a lot of follow-ups from this because one of the areas that the report criticised is an area that Hunter Foundation has been trying to get better, which is startups and scale-ups. So we have spoken to business leaders and, and there's going to be something really positive coming out on that. We haven't had too much from the politicians, but they are busy with the elections. So I'm sure with whoever gets into power, they'll be beating a path to our door, Willie. Willie? Yeah, well, what I've been um, pleased about is the feedback that I've had is that people love the fact that that highlighted that there was a big weakness in scale up. You know, the, the amount of failures that we have when we get to that stage in business. And the whole essence of this show is it's for business, by business, how can we help business? So I think if we're part of that conversation going forward where we can help, and I think we mentioned it last week, you know, about networking, I think that Tom's report, because of COVID, because of Brexit, you know, that we have to take a step back now and we say things will not be the same going forward. And I think there's there's time now for a realignment and the whole um, accelerator ladder for entrepreneurship. And I think that Tom's report could help us put the bones of the foundation in that together. 
Do you get a sense that after the election, Tom, that there's an appetite to engage? Yeah, but listen, I'm an optimist, so I hope so. I mean, let's see who's returned and then who's in the positions of power. But whoever it is, I mean, I've worked with politicians of all colours. I'm not political from that point of view. If it's good for Scotland, it's good enough for me. So my door is open. I know Willie's door is open. And, you know, I said it last week. I'll say it again. The people who create the jobs here, and Willie is the biggest private sector employer in Scotland, they need to be at that table because the collaboration with the policymakers, with people who know how to do it, will come out with a better result for Scotland. Another part of feedback that I've had this week is, let's not make it another report where nothing happened. So there's been a lot of good work put into this, and what we're saying is, what we're saying to all politicians, if you believe in anything from the report where we can make things better for Scotland, we are here to help, 100%. There was an interesting report out that said Glasgow is seeing the highest rental increases in the UK, up on average £73 a month. Should you buy a rent and how do you make sure that those increases don't price people out of housing? Yeah, I read that article during the week um, and it's really interesting because I'm kind of working on a project myself at the moment and I believe that housing, especially new housing, should be at the heart of the recovery and I think that we should build fantastic stock for people um, and it should be an affordable price. I was amazed to see that uplift in, in, in the price, you know, £73 a month. So if you're if you're living in a place at the moment that's £700 a month, I mean, it's a 10% rise in your rent. That's huge, huge. I mean, at a time when people could do an extra £800 a year in their pocket, they certainly don't need their rent to be increased by £73. On a note of optimism, travel restrictions within Scotland have been eased and hospitality starts to open up from April 26. How optimistic are you that we can bounce back? Willie? Well, obviously the first stage is local travel, so it'll be staycations. But uh, I have to be honest with you, uh, I can't wait until the programme's coming live from Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> Willie so. and his speedos, maybe, yes. <laughs> no, I definitely think that uh, it's, it's a step in the right direction. But I hope the, on this one that the UK works together. I don't want any stupid, you know, you know, if you can move, you can fly into London and get the train up to Glasgow. I hope that, and I think, I believe that the first minister did say this week that the, 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 you know, the nations were talking together to come up with one plan. So that would be good. I can't wait. You a bit more optimistic then, Tom? Yes. Yeah, so first of all, the data is telling us that. I mean, all the data that I see is telling us we're going in the right direction and we're getting there quickly. 47.8% of the UK population has now had its first jab. You know, compare that to Germany, France, they're only 15.8% of their populations. We are so far ahead. I mean, we should be really proud of this. Yeah. Um, So that's the good news. Then I'm really pleased that our government has said, okay, the data's better, therefore we can pull things forward. Great news. It's still quite difficult, you know, you can you can have a, a meal inside but no alcohol and, and all of this. And I, I'm pretty sure people in hospitality must be pulling their hair out. But I think there's pent-up demand. Everybody I know is trying to get things sorted. My friends in London have been trying to sort um, meals out outside this week everyone's chock-a-block so I think people want to get back and I think the Scottish hospitality can lead the way and I would love to be welcoming people from all over the rest of the UK come to Scotland come and get a taste of it because once you've been here and you get a wee spell of weather I, I think it's brilliant nothing beats Scotland when the sun's out even Palmer no nothing beats Scotland when the sun's out not even Palmer but um, I, I hope, as Tom said, that um, that because of the data, that it will be sooner than later. I, I, you know, for one, I would be I'd be certainly happy to visit some of the lovely places in Scotland. But I can't wait until the restrictions are lifted, where I can go anywhere for a bit of sun. Yeah, and um, I've got a big birthday coming up, so um, can only take so many people. But we're going up to Andrew Carnegie's old home at Skibo Castle at the end of May. 
So, looking forward to that. Donald, I have to say, now that Tom has given us the exclusives about where his uh, party is going to be, I'm really disappointed because he took me to a lovely nightclub in Ibiza two years ago and told me that's where it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, to region. Be, just, just to be clear, this isn't a party. <laughs> I think I think you can have a, a shandy, but you've got to be in your bed by seven o'clock. <laughs> have you been to Skibo? That's true. Well, that's a nice link in to our latest of our new feature on Great Scots, as we tell the story of Scottish family bakers McGee's. There are few greater examples of a traditional family business than McGee's family bakers. Founded in 1935, the company started out from their first bakehouse in Maryhill, Glasgow. Over the years, McGee's operated and grew from this site, servicing local shops and markets with a range of freshly baked sweet and savoury products. Ultimately, however, it was the introduction of the crispy morning roll that would cement their place in Glasgow hearts. Sons Jim, Calder, Douglas and Gavin all joined the company and became directors during the 50s and 60s. And in 1969, the business moved to custom-built premises at Murano Street, Mary Hill. These premises were state-of-the-art for a time, complete with the very latest in bakery plant technology and a custom-built workshop for the servicing of company vehicles. With a reputation for top-quality products, McGee's continued to grow into the catering trade whilst also servicing their local core customers with fresh morning goods. Then in the 90s, the third generation of McGee's, Gordon, Stewart and Ian, were all installed as directors. Company growth meant that by now, they were servicing customers across the central belt of Scotland, sending vans to Edinburgh, Dunfermline, Stirling and Perth on a daily basis. The director's commitment to growth and improvement saw a further move to state-of-the-art premises at the M8 Food Park in June 2005, where they now operate out of what has been described as the most efficient bakery production unit in Britain. McGee's popularity has never wavered, and in recent years, the nation's favourite family bakers has continued to receive widespread praise, also scooping the much-coveted title of Scottish Baker of the Year in 2016. Now in its fourth generation, McGee's continues to proudly serve Glasgow and beyond, whilst always maintaining their very own recipe for success, top quality products, excellent service, and a large sprinkling of family pride. Great Scots on the Go Radio Business Show. Well, thanks to McGee's, I think we've just had the breakfast of champions, haven't we, Willie? Yes, and uh, <laughs> what, what a story, what a great, a fantastic Scottish success story in business. But we'd just like to say to the people from McGee's, thank you so much for the lovely assortment of cakes that they sent us this morning. They went down a treat. Uh, they are obviously responsible for me going from a 32 waist to a 36 waist over the past 20 years. <laughs> but I would have to say a special mention I live and breathe for every Sunday when I have two other tortoise cones for my breakfast. <laughs> An empire biscuit for you, Tom. That's the breakfast of champions, Donald. Me and you scoffed at um, <laughs> empire biscuit. I, I love hearing these stories. I didn't. I didn't know that story either, yeah. but Willie, amazing. And it's happening here. And with Boyd Turnock the previous weeks and um, bakers. My dad was a baker. He went to college at, which is now Strathclyde University in George Street. It was the college there. And um, I just love hearing about these Scottish success stories. So good luck, McGee's. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. It's amazing. Over the past few weeks, we've had Eusebius, we've had Tunnocks, and now we've got McGee's. So when we talk about Scotland's known worldwide for their prowess in engineering and financial services, I think we're going to have to add baking to that. Yeah, we're only asking them, Willie, so we can get freebies, basically. Yeah. You know, there's not much from a financial services firm that can Can we get us. Can we get somebody for Rolex on? <laughs> well, our next guest might be able to help us out in terms of free flights, because coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Jonathan Hinkle's Chief Executive of Logan Air. Don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey, supporting the lifeblood of the Scottish economy. Welcome back, as we are joined by Jonathan Hinkle's Chief Executive of Logan Air. If you want business insight or have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hi there. 
Logan Air's been described as Scotland's airline. Tell us a wee bit about the lifeline services you operate across Scotland and its islands. Well, we are nowadays the only airline headquartered in Scotland. So I think Scotland's airline went from being a marketing tagline one day to being a statement of fact. Um, But uh, it's an airline that's been around for coming up for 60 years. We celebrate our 60th anniversary next year. And as well as being a, a business, we've got a pretty much social responsibility around the islands and the communities that we serve. And Logan Air now today is a lot wider than that as well. So we've been one of the busiest airlines through the pandemic, um, almost 20th busiest airline in Europe really? on several days wow. over the last year, which is just unbelievable. You don't kind of expect to see Logan Air on that, but it's a reflection of how much we've continued to fly where other airlines haven't been flying through the pandemic. And that's a combination of keeping lifeline services open to and from the islands. We do a lot of work flying for oil and gas companies from Aberdeen, particularly up to Shetland. Um, We deliver all the Royal Mail. Um, So we're one of two airlines in the UK that flies the Royal Mail. And that's something that we've been doing since 1967, uh, nonstop in one way, shape or form around the whole network. So uh, I guess the role of chief executive, you almost end up as not just running a business, but almost as sort of guardian keeper of this uh, 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 national institution of, of, a, of a nature in terms of keeping the islands connected. And that's, it, it's great fun. It can vary from anything from taking the seats out of our eight-seat islanders that fly around the Orkney Islands on a Tuesday, every Tuesday through the winter, to fly foodstuffs out to North Ronaldsey, where they don't have a ferry service in the winter, wow. um, to today when we've got an aircraft just about to launch from Glasgow off doing an air ambulance service, uh, supporting the Scottish Ambulance Service, to, of course, flying routes like Aberdeen to Manchester and um, uh, Glasgow to the islands, all, which are all part of our network today. So it's a really uh, disparate business, but one that's uh, absolutely fascinating. What size is the business now and how many planes do you operate and how many people do you employ? Well, we've 43 aeroplanes and through the pandemic around uh, 12 of those have been on the ground at any time. So we've kept a greater number of our aircraft flying through the pandemic than pretty much any other UK airline, uh, many of whom have just actually shut down uh, and haven't been flying at all over, uh, over long periods. And that has been helpful in that it means that we haven't got this big hill to climb to get flying again when things do pick up in the way that some airlines are now facing. Uh, for the team, we've 756 people in Logan Air, and that's people based from as far north as uh, Shetland, right the way through 10 different locations through the Highlands and Islands, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Edinburgh, Dundee, and uh, as far south as Newcastle and Teesside, which is the latest base uh, that we've opened up very recently. You started in aviation straight from school and are now a chief exec. How did it all come about and why choose the airline industry? I'm still wondering, really, uh, to be honest. Um, No, um, I I mean, I'd I'd had an interest in uh, aviation from about the age of eight when I'd first got on a plane. And um, all the way through school, um, it was something that was a, a keen interest. And uh, I had an uh, incredibly eccentric English teacher who used to do a lot of writing for things like Railway World magazine. And he said, actually, you know enough about aeroplanes, you should be writing for these aviation magazines. So while I was at school, a Saturday job was um, writing for things like Aircraft Illustrated and things which were published magazines at the time. And um, you met an awful lot of people through doing that, which was great. So I uh, got to know quite a few people in the industry. And... Um, Finished off uh, A-levels and thought, actually, I'll I'll go to work for a couple of years uh, before then going to university. Uh, So I'm actually pretty glad that I never went. It was going to go and do Russian and economics, so uh, I never got there and uh, following up on uh, having done Russian A-level, which was good fun. Um, But uh, I just never never got to university, so uh, carried on uh, working. Uh, So a year out in the Middle East, uh, in the very formative stages of uh, Qatar Airways, which was a a fascinating learning curve as a first management job, but not one that I'd rush back and do again, but learned an awful lot uh, uh, in what that What were you when you were out there? Uh, 21st birthday was when I was in oh. Qatar, actually, and that was deciding where we flew. We had six aeroplanes at the time, so Qatar always was a shadow uh, in those days of what it's now become. Uh, and then back to the uh, back to the UK uh, from after that, where I've uh, stayed uh, in a mixture of roles, ranging from Logan Air through to um, Virgin Atlantic um, uh, in four years out, uh, most recently. You moved fairly quickly up the career ladder. What were the key moments? 
I guess in my very first role in an airline called City Flyer at Gatwick, which is now part of BA, uh, there was a tremendous opportunity that uh, really the uh, the team of directors there, most of whom uh, uh, Scottish Brad, who's our managing director, uh, uh, born and brought up in Lindsay, um, and uh, they were absolutely brilliant in letting you go off and do things uh, and go off and get stuck in and find out about different bits of the business and go off and learn. Uh, and that was absolutely tremendous because it meant that you not just did the job you were doing, but you could understand every other job in the airline as well. And that grounding, I think, has been uh, in- incredibly helpful. I mean, it's uh, something that I'd always say to anybody coming into the industry now is try and learn to do as many of the jobs as you can within the business uh, in as short a space of time as you can. So whether that was planning where we flew, which was putting the big jigsaw puzzle together of the airline schedule, which was uh, my role, uh, or out on uh, a Saturday in uh, Jersey where we had loads and loads of flights but not enough people on the ground so I used to fly out and work on the ramp every Saturday <laughs> uh, and doing the same in uh, Chambry in the ski season in the in the French Alps which was always interesting so uh, you'd be absolutely exhausted after running up and down trying to get to sort of four aeroplanes out you know on your own uh, and get people boarded on them and get the aircraft out at the end of the day but it was um, great learning uh, and um, you know really good fun Learn by doing there Donald do you hear that? So Jonathan Logan Air with a bit of credibility can actually claim now to be Scotland's national carrier. And as far as we have, yeah, and we've got uh, you know, tartans painted on the tail of our aeroplanes and um, when we're back to uh, in-flight service in the post-COVID world, we'll be proudly back to serving Tunnock's caramel wafers on every flight yes. as well. Boy, they'll be happy. And, and McGee's Empire Biscuits. Oh, no. <laughs> we haven't got to that yet, but uh, no, the Tunnock's are... a weight restriction on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-pandemic, you were flying 68 non-stop routes and to six countries. What do you look for when you're choosing a route? From our point of view, the main thing is really a, a route where we can make a difference to customers and we can have something that's a defensible niche. There's no point in Logan Air being a business that simply developed routes to a scale where then EasyJet come along and say, thanks, we'll have a bit of that, uh, and then we're out of the market. So we have to be in a position where we're providing something that's unique, we're providing something that other people can't easily replicate. But more widely, in terms of some of the other routes that we started, flying to places like Southampton, which we fly from Edinburgh and Glasgow, uh, and Newcastle as well, um, it's around saying, right, there's an airport there which is relatively small at the moment, It can't handle bigger aeroplanes. They're getting an extension to the runway. But that's a niche in which we can get into. We can really survive and we can serve it well uh, and we can really bring something to the customer. So, Jonathan, the airline industry must be one of the hardest hit from COVID. How have you managed that? How have you kept communicating with your team? How, How have you kept morale up through all this? I think that's been the biggest single challenge, you know, aside from the uh, uh, sort of enforced financial boot camp that businesses uh, uh, such as ours have found themselves in uh, over the last 12 months, then actually trying to make sure that our team uh, stays on track and we keep working our way through it uh, has been uh, the thing that's probably been the area in which I've spent the most time. And I think that has paid dividends, to be honest. You know, we, we asked our team uh, shortly before Christmas how they thought we'd handled the, the pandemic. Okay. Uh, and uh, I think we're on 94% of people saying either well or excellent in oh. terms of the management team. Well done. Very um, good. So, you know, that, that was heartening, but they've been hugely supportive, and we've kept talking to them right the way through. Um, we did last September, we left it for as long as we possibly could uh, in the hope of things picking up before getting to any form of redundancies. We couldn't avoid that last September, but we spent a lot of time trying to do that in the way that was... Uh, the most humane that we could, uh, yeah. to a point where, you know, it, it's almost soul destroying. Really, when you're getting thank you letters from cards from people who who've just left the business, having been made redundant, saying they're looking forward to coming back as soon as we can. And I'd love nothing more than for that to happen. And is there anything for the listeners today? Because you know, running a business through COVID is goodness, it's not been easy. And um, we're always looking for wee tips that maybe somebody's listening at home going, goodness, I'm really struggling. All oh, right, I heard Jonathan on the radio and, and here's the nugget. Do you have any nuggets for us this morning? I think there's two, one of which is consistency of communications. So even before the pandemic, we do an update to all of our team every Friday, um, which takes me a couple of hours on a Friday morning to kind of record and put together with bits of what's going on around the rest of the business. 
that is, you know, if it's not out by Friday evening, I've got people ringing up saying, are you all right? You will. I haven't seen this week's <laughs> update yet. So that consistency of communications is right. there. And every Wednesday we do a session with our uh, teams which they can dial in if they're not at work. Or even they. some people do dial in. You know, you get pilots appearing on the uh, flight deck when they've got a break between flights, sitting <laughs> on the flight deck on the ground somewhere around the network, uh, just bobbing in for a quick catch-up on what's going on. So that consistency of communication is absolutely critical. Just, just lead from the front. Keep yeah. keep telling, even if there are hard truths. Oh yeah, I mean it. absolutely. Don't don't back off if there's something coming that that doesn't look good. Don't do not drop it on people as a surprise. You know, lay the ground rules and just sort of make sure people understand. And um, from outside looking in, a lot of people have said to us, it's really interesting how up to date and how well informed your people are and how business focused they are and I think that is a function of that but the other thing that's been really really important to us um, shortly before the pandemic knowing nothing of what we were about to get into uh, last February we set up a mental health first aid program and we trained around 30 volunteers from uh, across the company and they have been absolutely fantastic they've been busy but my heavens they've been brilliant and the support that they've provided to people where people have needed that out, you know, whether it be issues at home, issues at work, even coping with some things I'd never have thought of. So where some members of our team were almost getting what they described as like a survivor's guilt that colleagues have been made redundant and they hadn't, and how to deal with things like that. So the Mental Health First Aid Programme, uh, which we've trained people on, we've just taken them through a refresher training a year on from that very recently as well, has been incredibly valuable. And we've put a safety net behind that so for example if we have people who've got particular money worries as a company you know if somebody needs a couple of hundred pounds to get them to next payday we'll provide that as a company loan and pay it back when you can rather than keeping that stress on people's shoulders so that program which has been very informal and i think it's that's actually been the benefit of it it sounds as if you're very accessible as well for your teams etc Yes, although that doesn't... I mean, I think the worst day through the pandemic for me, I have to say, was um, last June. Uh, I'd been over in the hangar at Glasgow where we do all the heavy maintenance checks on our aircraft and uh, talking to a few of the team, no indication of anything wrong, and then phone call on Friday morning that one of our team had tried to take his life the night before, and thankfully, unsuccessfully, uh, and, uh, you know, he's absolutely fine and got the support, but I, I did not, having had a conversation with that person two days before, see anything that would have led me to think that that was even remotely a possibility and that was a real wake-up call for all of us in terms of looking out for our people. Jonathan can I ask you the the listeners will be interested to hear the opinion of someone in the industry what is your views on Covid passports for, for international travel? I think there's going to be an awful lot more than that required for getting international travel back running again. I've sat through sessions with both the Scottish and the UK government in the last couple of days I think there is a view that COVID passports in certain areas are almost divisive and, you know, we can't have them here. Um, But I think also looking at the travel restrictions that are coming in with this traffic light system, I mean, it may well as as well be amber, red and red. (laughs) Green is still got a lot of restrictions around it. Amber is red and red is deep red. You know, I think (laughs) it's going to be very, very difficult for anybody... Firstly, to understand what they're going to need to do to navigate their way through this path of travel. Uh, Secondly, uh, in terms of the time that it's going to take to do it. And thirdly, the cost uh, in terms of all the COVID tests. So I think while we're hopeful of seeing a recovery in domestic travel and the First Minister's announcement this week uh, around being able to get travel turned from the islands open up, we saw an immediate surge in our telephone lines even before the First Minister had finished speaking. Wow. Uh, And a real... so. The travel market is very, very susceptible to the messages that government gives, more so than I think government realises. You know, as an industry, we've been hanging our heads at some point when some of the clinicians have said, oh, I wouldn't book a holiday if I were you. And we've been there going, actually, that you don't need to say that. From a customer's perspective, we as airlines and travel companies have put a lot of time and effort into programmes where if things change and customers can't travel, they can change their bookings, they can get a refund easily, which of course was a problem 12 months ago. We can do all these things, leave that side of it to us, but focus on actually getting these structures in place so people can travel. If that includes COVID passports, I think fine, but I think uh, you know it's going to take an awful lot more than that because it's not just about what happens here in the UK it's about what happens in the international countries to which you're travelling as well. And there's so a real Jonathan, challenge. 
if if Willie can I get to Palma, what's your favourite landing in the Isles? What's the most hair-raising so we can put Willie in that flight? We've got a whole raft to choose from in Logan Air, <laughs> and that could be landing on the beach in Barra, uh, where we operate our scheduled services or Tyree. Uh, subject to Tyree. Tyree. Yeah, the beach. Um, Tyree's uh, great fun to visit as well. Yeah. Much understated right. island, which to some extent is in the shadow of, of Barra with the famous beach landing next door, but Tyree's great. My personal favourite is actually flying around the Orkney Islands. Oh. Absolutely nothing to beat it in terms of the views, and you get one of those clear days up there of the nature we've just had this weekend after all the snow and ice has passed through. Uh, Orkney's an absolutely fantastic place to visit. I've but never been there. Have you ever been there? I've been to Tyree. I've been to Tyree. Right. Wonderful. You fly the world's shortest route, though. That's from Papa Westray to Westray. <laughs> it's a kind of bucket list flight along with Barra. So how long so is that? what's it like? And does it really make any sense? <laughs> Well, it's a two-minute flight between two the islands <laughs> from uh, Westray to Papa Westray, so it is it is the world's shortest scheduled flight, and it's wow. part of a routing where we take off from Kirkwall, fly to Papa Westray and drop off and pick up some people, fly on to Westray and drop off and pick up some people, and then back to Kirkwall. So right. it, it's part of the bus stop service, which is an essential part of island life in Orkney. And that's everything from um, travelling uh, vets, travelling teachers, flying out to the islands, uh, medical clinicians, delivering mail and newspapers. Everything happens around uh, the Logan Air Air Service, which we've now been operating uh, for continually for over 50 years in Orkney. Um, but that operation is, um, it, it's the smallest part of Logan Air, but actually it's the, the kind of corporate DNA, if right. you like. It's where it all started. Uh, and... Um, from my perspective, it's something we operate under contract with the council. And the thing that absolutely fills me with fear and dread from a business point of view is losing this contract that we've run <laughs> for 50 years uh, on my watch every time it comes up for retender. That's and not a good negotiation thing to tell the council there. Well, thankfully, we've just rewon the contract oh, right, okay, for another four years. Man, so uh, I can uh, sleep soundly for, uh, for another few years yet. But it's, uh, you know, moving that forward as well and evolving that service because, of course, it can't just stay sort of preserved in aspic. It's a living, breathing entity there to serve the islands is, is, is great fun but it's um, a really interesting piece of flying so there's but there's lots to choose from around the Logan Air network which and um, you can fly now so listeners can book get on loganair.co.uk or you can indeed loganair.co.uk and you can fly um, Scottish islands you can fly within the UK okay and we're very hopeful that probably by the end of the summer subject to all of this traffic light status thing we'll be able to restart our international flights to Denmark and Norway as well right Brilliant. How do you see the future post-pandemic and even extend it way out? Because you've just coming up, I think it's February next year, 60 years. How do you see the next 60 years for the <laughs> airline industry? You know, will we will be flying regularly to the moon. I think there's there's going to be another big change within the next 10 years, and that's driven by the environmental factors and environmental issues. So I think we've got a step change coming up in technology. Um, I'm very comfortable that within um, sort of 10 to 15 years, we'll be flying a significant proportion uh, of our flights powered by uh, hydrogen and or electrical power. Okay. Um, I've never seen a rate of progress such as there is at the moment going into that whole area, and it's fascinating. Um, you know, working the other day on whether we were looking at drones for out deliveries of supplies to some of the uh, small isles in Shetland and things like that. Um, you know, the, 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 the pace at which the technology is evolving is something that I haven't seen in just coming up for 30 years in aviation at any time in that time. So that, that will be an interesting one. But very short term, building back from the pandemic, I think coping with an environment where business travel, which of course is a mainstay for a lot of airlines, uh, will be reduced uh, and we'll have to adapt our businesses to that, the number of flights that were flying, uh, the types of schedules that were flying. So we are going to need to take stock of that um, because people are not going to be flying as much, albeit I'm massively encouraged that on every Zoom and Teams call I go on, they all have glitches on them, which is great and we need it to stay that way from an airline's <laughs> perspective. Um, but, uh, you know, that will be the short-term challenge of getting back to whatever a semblance of normality is for our industry and making sure that the supplier base that we have, whether it's the airports, um, and I think, you know, where Logan Air will be able to restart flying domestic flights and we've restarted a batch of routes uh, at the beginning of this week. We've got another batch of routes to restart in May, all coming back on stream. That's great. But the airports are very heavily reliant on international travel as well. That's going to take a lot longer to come back 
and I'm actually more concerned about the viability and the sustainability of some of the airports in the short term uh, than actually from an airline's perspective now, because, of course, we need airports to fly to. Does that mean there might be too many airports in Scotland? Uh, I'm not going to get drawn into that one on a Prestwick versus Glasgow debate, which is the inevitable Was area I that goes. That's, a, uh, that, that? that's a, a political <laughs> hot potato that I will duck and let go straight over keep, my keep head. The, the new Prestwick Space Hub. <laughs> well, it, it seems to be that anybody who's got an airport and they don't know what to do with it, it's turning it into a space hub. They're springing up all the way around the UK, to be honest. But uh, no, look, I mean, you know, I think I think all of the airports have got a place. It's going to be how they can actually sustain that huge infrastructure that you need to be a safe, secure airport on a vastly reduced number of people going through it. That's going to be the real challenge for them in the very short term. Um, I. I don't envy them. It's gone from a position where it was at the beginning of the pandemic, the airlines that were probably right up against it, through the, the kind of financial boot camp, if I can call it that, that we've, we've all been through, we've got to that point. But the delays in the recovery is now hurting probably the airports far more than the airlines, and that's a, a challenge for us, Ed. Thank you, Jonathan. Coming up next, it's the board you can't afford with Hunter and Hockey. If you are looking for some business and insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The board you couldn't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with business advice insight and inspiration it's the board you can't afford if you have any questions you want read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag gohunterandhockey we're going to our phone lines now and first up is Alan Howitt Director of Macmillan Office Supplies welcome to the show Alan good morning gentlemen nice to speak to you morning You've got a question for Tom and Willie? I have. Yeah, we're a local business who, prior to COVID, operated with field salespeople, sales reps, as you used to call them, meeting customers face-to-face. And I just wondered if you think that COVID has changed the way that we sell. And now that we're probably going to have to communicate, meet with customers, you know, remotely via Zoom, Skype, etc., and I just wondered what other obstacles you foresee salespeople having to overcome if the bulk of their contact is now going to be remotely rather than face-to-face. Morning, Alan. It's Willie here. Morning, Willie. F- thanks for calling in. Um, I think that um, the sort of things that you're selling, I still think there's going to be a, a, a you know a big, big demand for face-to-face. I'm sure that you'll pick up a bit on, on online sales, but I still think for people selling you know direct and it's all about relationship uh i'm sure that there'll still be i still think it'll be 80 20 you know i i think that you're going to need someone getting in front of people's faces and you know i don't have to tell you that you know a lot is about relationships and people get to like people it's not just the product but i would think in the short term anyway alan that i still think there'll be a great demand for you having boots on the ground tom yeah morning alan it's tom here morning, um, tom. so I agree with um, Willie there. Um, I I don't know the kind of size of order, but um, there's this thing in sales I was taught way back at the beginning was people buy from people. Human beings doing business together. It, it is a contact sport. <laughs> and um, there will be things you'll be able to automate and, you know, if it's just stationary or whatever. But for the bigger things, I definitely think that face-to-face personal service will, will will make you stand out. Um, what do you think? Well, I, I think COVID has probably exhilarated changes that were already taking place as more and more meetings were being conducted remotely. But personally, I'm kind of old school. I like what you guys were saying. I think if you want to build relationships and get to know your clients, I think face-to-face is the way to do it. And, and again, it's probably going to be driven by the customer and if they're happy still to have sales reps coming and visiting their premises. But from a personal viewpoint, yeah, I hope there is still a place for um, face-to-face selling. Alan, now, now you've got a platform, about a wee plug. Tell us a wee bit about what you do. Well, we've really got two divisions um, at Macmillan Office Supplies. We've got the Office Supplies, which is sort of traditional stationery. 
and look at the furniture division. So, um, yeah, just like what um, Sir Tom was saying there, I think for furniture jobs, probably you're going to have to go and visit customers. Um, but as I said, I'd like to think there's still a better place for face-to-face James people. It's, it's all I've ever known, so hopefully I can continue to do it. Well, good luck. I keep in touch, Hello. Alan, and best of luck to you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Bye-bye. Our second caller is Craig McGee, who's the Chief Events Officer of Panoptic Events. Welcome to the show, Craig. Hi, Donald. How are you? Very well. You've got a question for Tom and Willie, so fire away. I certainly do. Uh, Last March, Panoptic Events went from servicing 400 events a year to zero almost overnight. I wrote our next 90-day plan at this time and I used Bernhard and she's a big, hairy, audacious goal with the aim of becoming Europe's largest events company. Every decision made in the last year has been working towards that goal and recently we took our team to seven by employing five new team members and we're currently recruiting for an eight. With growth our main objective, how do you keep growth forefront of mind when it feels like the odds are completely against you? Tom? Hi, Craig. How are you? Hi, Tom. I'm very well. Yourself? Tell us a wee bit about, would, would there be any events that uh, me and Willie or the listeners would know that you're that you're behind? One of the events that was uh, well publicised on social media was an event where Lewis Capaldi had an after party in Greg's. In Greg's? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Those were the days, eh? Those were the days. Absolutely, yeah. When you could actually go into a place and go and see a concert as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it, it, is, it is going to come back. But listen, good for you. I love the big, hairy, audacious goals. I read that book as well. Um, so yeah. what makes you tick? What makes you want to keep growing? Because at the present time, you know, difficult times, but this is when the seeds of growth are really planted. So what do you think is within you that you want to build Europe's largest event company? I think coming from the background of the music industry, I've always had the notion or the idea that the show must always go on. Um, I've got a very, very positive attitude to things and uh, looked at our growth through 2019 in terms of what we were doing. And whilst we were losing events and whilst the phone was ringing and I was just answering with I know, <laughs> when knowing what was going to happen in terms of the, the events being cancelled. I realised that our numbers were stacking up, showing that the growth had been working. So I kind of had this long-term plan to get back into a position where how do we move forward? You know, like, let's move towards growth. Um, and I think just having that opportunity to look at the long game, yes, we're planning for uncertainty, ultimately like what we're doing is before had been working and it was a case of like I wanted to continue that So what I think Craig is if you've been able to navigate through this global pandemic you've had an education like a Harvard business degree basically and if you've managed to keep your company afloat through this then the things this is stood you in such good stead for the growth that's going to come. And if you've taken on good people and you've brought them along with you, you have learned by doing 100% and good luck to you. I just think this is, your time is coming. So good luck. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Morning, Craig. It's Willie here. Hi, Willie. How are Um, you? Interesting to hear about the Lewis Capaldi after party and Greg's is that the old adage sex, drugs and sausage rolls? I'll get a fiver for that one later. <clears throat> I, I, I think in listening to you, I, I think you've got exactly what it takes when you've got you know, real optimism for your business at a time when it looks like a downturn and, and you've got faith and I can hear that the way you're talking and I think you just continue obviously you don't take on big big costs you know well no, that's no false optimism yep. but I think that um, you just keep doing what you're doing and I'm absolutely sure that you will get there and uh, hopefully you'll come on the show in a few months and tell us that you're going from strength to strength but um, I think that you'll make it I don't think you've got anything to worry about I appreciate that thanks very much Craig you've got a second question I believe do you want to fire that over because it's very interesting about young team yeah yeah um like the average age of the team is 23 and one of our big kind of values is education so we've been teaching 
uh, things that we've been learning. But we want our team to learn. So with the experience that both of you now have, what advice would you give your younger self? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> you stumped on there this morning. Yeah. Get you on your toes. <laughs> I think probably the advice I would give my younger self would be um, take a wee bit more time before you make your mind up about somebody. I was very quick to um, appraise people early on and uh, I probably lost a few good people because of that. So that's certainly one bit of advice and it, and it came straight to mind without having time to think about it. So that's probably the truest answer I could have gave. I appreciate that. Yeah, Thank you. I, I just love this learn by by doing and meeting as many people as you can and just learning from them, and even even things where you think well that hasn't worked you've you've learned an invaluable lesson, and that's why I think you know you've been able to plot the path for panoptic events through this global pandemic. I mean, good on you, and um, I think you're a leader. And I'll be looking out to see what you're doing in the future, Craig. Oh, thank you very much. Best of luck, Craig. Good, Good luck. Guys. Good luck. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Cheers. We've Thanks. got an email question now from Reese, who's asking, how do you create the right environment to stimulate ideas from your team? Tom. So what I've found in this one is... Um, it tends to work if you're brainstorming something that whenever I said, oh, I've got a great idea and this, that, and then somebody will go, nah, that's a rubbish idea. So so what we do is we have, nobody can criticise an idea. So we sit down, so every idea is thought through and, and you don't get the moaning guy going, oh, no, that's rubbish. And, and then we can critique it later. So that means that people are not frightened to come up with what, what may be crazy ideas, but some of the best ideas come out when people feel as if they're listened to, they're valued, and creating that environment is the key thing for a leader. Really? Yeah, I think it's, there's no such thing as a bad idea. You know, there, there can't be any uh, humiliation of people that you're asking to be creative. I also think incentivizing them is all, always works for me. But I think Tom's point there is what we used to do is you know, get five or six people in a room, you know, for ideas for expansion and then start off with, you know, what do we think in the first level? We'd have six levels and say, well, this is a good idea. And we put them up on the board and we'd say, right, okay, we'd agree that after half an hour that that was the best. And then we'd say, right, okay, can we go back in and try and come up with another five so that, that becomes the worst? And eventually, after about eight hours, something would work its way to the top. The team would come to the top and when we all agreed that this is definitely the best idea, then we were trying to deliver on it. That's brilliant advice. Reese also asks, he said, he needs to be creative to survive. So when recruiting managers, what should he be asking and looking for, Tom? Well, I mean, recruitment is the most difficult job because when you're sitting across from someone, everybody lies in a CV, I reckon. It's like a business plan. I've, I've never saw one business plan that ever did what it said it was going to do. Um, and with an interesting um, thing, my daughter just got a new job there and, and she was given a task which was really specific to the role. And I like these sorts of things, Willie, because you, you can set a task, you can see how somebody does because, you know, just listening to somebody say how good they are, it never really works. You've got to judge them by their actions, not their words. Willie? Yeah, I think we mentioned it a few weeks ago, you know, the experience, uh, we said, no, if you want to travel down the road, get someone who's been down that road before. So if, you, if you've if you got a specific vacancy and you're trying to fill that vacancy and it's really important, then I think that when you go through the recruitment exercise, it's seeing that someone has had the experience, but also you see there's a passion there to deliver for you. So I think for me, that's what I'm looking for. Another question from this time from Ryan Kenny, who's saying what businesses will thrive in the next couple of years and what needs to happen for Scotland to become a global powerhouse, Tom? So I think here, I don't have any specifics, but some of the generalities that are happening, you know, the, the pace of change in the world. So where does Scotland find its rightful place? So I think there's huge opportunities um, going from 
we've probably passed peak carbon, maybe 20, 25 years left in the North Sea. But this transition from carbon to renewables, we've got the engineering base, we've got brilliant workforce, we've got a great technology base through our universities. So I would think Scotland should be leading the world in that type of thing. The other thing which... I get quite excited about is the knowledge in our universities around um, biotech. This vaccine, the many vaccines that have come out for the global pandemic have been produced in record time because of AI, because of technology. So how can Scotland plant the flag so that Scotland's at the forefront of this. This needs leadership. It needs us all to get together. It needs a collaboration. And then I would love Scotland to lead the world in a few of these things. Really? Well, it's interesting reading this week that there seems to be a world shortage in microchips. Yeah. Causing major problems, especially in the automotive industry. So we used to have a small Silicon Valley here, you know, down, you know, down in Greenock and Port Glasgow. Why can we not revisit that? We are world renowned for our engineering prowess. Why can we not look at how we could become one of the biggest suppliers of microchips in the world? We're keen, obviously, to get suggestions on how to improve the show. So any other shout out to the listeners to, to chip in because we've had a number of ideas? I think that um, some of the ideas we've had um, up until now have been great and I would encourage more. But what we want to do is we want to freshen it up. We don't want it to become stale. Um, we're trying that various guests big business, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, small business entrepreneurs, I think that getting the chamber involved, getting this, you know, maybe getting the Edge, Scottish Edge Fund involved, uh, and I think that try to connect the kind of conveyor belt for entrepreneurism, I think, is, is, is a big factor in why we're why the programme exists and hopefully that we can help with that. And I know Tom is working you know, very closely with the Edge Fund and hopefully there'll be a few exciting uh, announcements from them shortly. Yeah, I mean, I think what Willie's vision for the show was was for business, by business and to help. And therefore, like any good business, we need to listen to our customers, Donald, even if they tell us we're rubbish. <laughs> but room for improvement, absolutely. Tell us, keep in touch with us. We are here to try and make things better. And the way we do that is listening to our customer. And there may be a book, and it may even be signed by you and me, Willie. Yes. The Enlightenment by Professor Arthur Herman. Indeed, the best ideas. You've, pro you've pledged that you'll sign that book. So for full details on how to win that book and for all you need to know about today's show and information on how you can get involved and connect, visit thisisgo.co.uk. Don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterInHockey. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Insight, advice and guidance into the world of business.